As we get into Luke chapter 24, it's a very familiar story. The problem with familiar stories is often they become just that, familiar stories. And we forget the power behind what's actually happening here in Luke chapter 1. All too often, as we look at the people in this story, we forget they're real people. This is not a Hollywood production, although it could have been. This is not something that somebody sat down and wrote a screenplay in order to sell tickets and get people to advertise and be a part of all this. This was real life. That first Sunday morning, that first resurrection morning, these were real women that went to the tomb. And as we begin and we begin looking at this, we need to realize that all too often life circumstances cause us to be anxious. They cause us to doubt, maybe to fear. And if we're not careful... They cause us to fail to remember the truths of God as we're trying to struggle through the difficulties of life. The realities and the difficulties that we face often distract us from the truth. Hurt, loss, frustration, regret, despair, anger, worry, self-pity can all overwhelm us at times. And they make it hard for us to see what God's doing. The point of the resurrection that we're going to see this morning is that there's hope. There's hope in the midst of frustration and loss and hurt and regret. There's hope in the midst of despair and anger and worry because he is risen. He is not dead. He is alive and he's the risen Lord. The truth is that there's hope and power because there's salvation and a risen Savior. And this is a very personal message. For those of you who were here this morning and got the opportunity to see that video on the empty tomb, the reason I love that video is every time I listen to that story, Every time I watch him explain what happened again, it becomes very personal, very reflective, very much the way God intended it to be. So let's go back there again as we pray to the Lord, open our eyes that we might see, open our ears that we might hear. And as we see the folks in this story, let's remember that they needed the same thing. We look at some of these people that are a part of this resurrection story and you think, how how dense could they be? How could they not get this? He told them these things would happen. It's happening before their very eyes, and they're still struggling with it. They're struggling to get it, number one, because there was a failure to see. Look at verses 1 through 8 again. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened. And bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Think about that picture again on that first resurrection Sunday morning. There's a group of ladies on their way to the tomb. A group of ladies that were not able to go to the tomb the day before because of the Sabbath. They were forbidden from doing this. These were ladies, again, who loved Jesus Christ, so they were mourning. I'm sure there were tears on the way to the tomb. I'm sure there was discussion about what happened on the way to the tomb. I'm sure there was despair. This was supposed to be the Messiah, and now we've got all these spices and we're taking them to the tomb to anoint his body. And then on the way to the tomb, no jokes and no puns about ladies and not preparing, but on the way to the tomb, they're like, who's going to move the stone away? 
We can't prepare the body with this stone in the way. All of this going on. And they become very perplexed and wondering as they're getting to the tomb. But their wonder has only begun. Because we get further into the passage. And it says when they got there, they found the stone was already rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now again, we know the story. We've been singing all day about he is risen. And they got to the tomb expecting to find a body. And as they got to the tomb, they were shocked to find that the stone which was supposed to be in the way had already been rolled away. And again, over and over again you hear it taught, but the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus Christ out. We're going to even see as we look at the story, he didn't need the stone rolled away. It was to let them in. To see the truth that Jesus Christ was risen. And so as they get there and they get into the tomb and they look around, it says, what about them? They're perplexed. Were they not paying attention when Jesus Christ taught? More than once, that the Son of Man was going to die for the sins of mankind, that he would raise again, on the third day he would be raised again, yet there they are and they're perplexed and wondering, oh, where's the body? Everything's in place, but there's no body here. That idea of perplexed also has the idea behind it about being uncertain, being in doubt, being anxious. What happened? They weren't singing, oh, what a morning, glorious and bright. They were trying to figure out why the body wasn't there. And then in the midst of that, the scripture goes on to say, while they were perplexed, behold, two men were standing there. It doesn't say two men walked into the tomb. It doesn't say they could hear two men coming along the path. It said while they were there, talking amongst themselves, do you imagine they had some few things to say amongst themselves in the tomb when the body wasn't there? There's a whole group of these ladies in there, and they're talking. And suddenly, there's two men. And there's not just two men, but in the darkness of the tomb, there's two men in dazzling apparel. These are angels. If we look back at Matthew, he tells us there are two angels that showed up, and suddenly they're not only perplexed, but they're fearful. Think about it tonight. As you turn off the, the, the lights in your home and you get ready to go to bed and you're walking into the bedroom and everything's dark and suddenly there's two men in bright apparel and they're standing there, would that frighten you a bit? You know, we look at these women and say, come on, they're angels. They didn't know who they were dealing with. They're already distraught trying to figure things out. Now these men are there. And then in the midst of all that, in the midst of their anxiety, in their midst of their fear, in their midst of trying to figure out what was going on, a question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, I don't know about you, but it would have to be an angel to do something like that. I am not going to walk into a group of ladies who are perplexed, upset, beside themselves, and basically tell them, what's your problem, ladies? But that's exactly what happens here. He looks at, why are you here? What are you looking for? You know, isn't it obvious? Well, he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. And the key to this is they needed their eyes opened. They loved you. It's not that they didn't love Jesus Christ. They did. They wouldn't have gotten up early in the morning and gone to the tomb and prepared the spices. And I'm sure there were all kinds of tears and all kinds of mourning as they got to the tomb thinking he's going to be here. And what's it going to be like to have to anoint the body of our Lord? And then in the midst of all that, these ladies just couldn't figure it all out. And the angel looks at them and gives them one word of advice that changes everything. He says, remember, remember. Have your eyes opened. Remember how he, when he was with you, he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. 
Now you think about these ladies who didn't really see what was going on as they were in the tomb that day. And they're looking at all what's going on here. And then the angel comes and says, don't you remember what he said to you? And before we're too harsh with the, with the ladies, how many disciples did Jesus Christ have? And minus Judas, they're all together. And you know what we're going to find out? They don't remember either. It's the circumstances of life that have crushed and crowded in so bad that they can't focus on the truth of what they already should have known. And so the angel comes back and says, tells them to remember. And look at verse 8. And this is the wonderful thing. And it would be a wonderful study sometimes to study the women who followed Jesus Christ. Because they had tender hearts. They loved the Lord. They took care of his disciples whenever they had opportunity. And here are these women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women with them. And it says in verse 8, and they remembered his words. They remembered. And the idea behind that, they remembered his words. When these ladies were confronted with the truth, they believed. You see, when you look at the story of the resurrection, you have to come up with some kind of reaction. Either you look at that story and it's a fable to you. And our society's done us no favors with that because isn't it interesting, and it's not a coincidence, but isn't it interesting that all of the major events in the life of Jesus Christ have been tainted by the fables of our society? Christmas time is supposed to be about what? It's the birth of Christ. What has our world made it about? A fat rat, a red man that goes in a red suit that goes all over the and delivers toys. And what do kids get excited about? They're usually not excited about the manger, not as much so as they are about the toys. Was that an accident? And then we've got Resurrection Sunday, and I almost hate to call it Easter anymore because when we think Easter in the United States, we think of the Easter bunny and chocolate and eggs and all these trappings around it, and it's about what? It's about the resurrection. He's risen. It's not an accident that Satan tries to distract us. And the thing is, you look at it and say, well, kids getting toys, that's a good thing. They're happy. And I'm not saying it's not a good thing. And I used to hunt for Easter eggs. I'm going to discuss that with my mom one day. But, you know, I used to do And I used to look forward to it. And my youngest son, Joel, some of you might have seen him at the wedding yesterday. He was the biggest of the three boys, and there's a reason for that. You know, he probably wasn't quite as fast as the other two until there was an Easter egg hunt. That boy could move faster than any other child on the face of the earth and scoop up Easter eggs like you wouldn't believe. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but life distracts from the important things. And even these ladies, the death of Christ distracted them from his resurrection. Until they remembered. And so part of praying, God, open our eyes to saying, God, help me to remember the things that I already know. Help me to remember these truths in the midst of tragedy. And I've talked to people over and over again because it happens to most of us who in the midst of hard times, in the midst of trials, somebody will come and give us a scriptural promise and it just sounds a little bit hollow, doesn't it, at times? You know why it sounds hollow? Because we're not remembering And when those ladies remembered, I guarantee you, the words of Jesus Christ in Galilee no longer sounded hollow. How do we know that? We go on to read in verse 9. And they returned from the tomb, and they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And so the ladies walked in and said, he is risen. And the eleven looked at them and said, looked at those ladies and said, oh, and he's risen indeed. Or did they? What does the scripture say? It says, these ladies came and told them all that they had seen. 
They had seen an empty tomb. They had seen angels. They had gotten the, the reminder of the message. And in verse 10 it says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of Jesus and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. So this isn't just one lady. This is a whole group of them coming in. And they're excited. And they're sharing with the disciples what they had seen and heard at the tomb. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale. The disciples looked at it and said, they've lost their minds. The pressure of this has been too much for them. They don't really understand what's going on. And it says, they did not believe. I never read that, but it cuts to the very bottom of my heart when I think about the fact that there are so many people who today are exactly where those disciples were. These, these disciples knew Jesus Christ. They walked with him for three years. They were with him in Galilee when he said he would die. He shared it with them on that last week when he was with them again. and During the Lord's Supper time, he's sharing with them. And what does Peter say? Oh, no, Lord, not you. It'll never happen. And then if it does, I'm going to die with you. Neither one of those things were right. And as we're looking at all these things that are happening and seeing all that going on before our very eyes, they looked and they should have remembered. They should have had their ears opened when those ladies came and said, let us tell you the wonderful news. And instead, they did not believe. Where are you this morning? Do you truly believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the resurrection to the point that you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and it's changed your life? Or are you at the point where these disciples are still struggling? They're not having a good day. And we sometimes forget the fact that this whole Easter story, it begins with ladies at the tomb. You know those ladies at the tomb were probably the only people who were followers of Jesus Christ who had a wonderful day? Because when they went to the disciples, the disciples did not believe. And they still weren't believing later in the evening. How do we know that? Last year we talked about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus Christ walked with them and talked with them. And they didn't recognize him until he opened their eyes when he was breaking bread with them. And they ran all the way back, seven miles back to Jerusalem to share with the disciples. And it was evening time. So from morning when the ladies came until evening, what were the disciples doing? They were mourning because they didn't believe. They didn't believe what they'd been told. And so here we've got... They need to open their ears because they doubted. Where are you today in that? Are you like those doubting disciples? Saying, you know, I I just don't know if this is really true. I don't know if this is going to work for me. Sure, it's good for some of you all who need, you know, one of those religious crutches to get through life. You need faith to think everything's going to be okay. But it's not for me. Well, the disciples weren't far from that at this point. They were despondent. The kingdom that was supposed to be coming in died with Jesus Christ as far as they were concerned. And the ladies had some fanciful story that made no sense. They needed to hear and they needed to believe the truth. Now verse 12 is very interesting. The disciples heard and it says they doubted, they didn't believe. But look at verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Now Peter's going to have a failure to understand when he gets there. But of all the disciples, John tells us that there's one other disciple that went with him. John and Peter ran to the tomb. Where are the other nine disciples? They're not running all the way to a tomb that they don't believe is empty. They don't believe it. They don't even believe it enough to check it out. But here's Peter, and Peter runs to the tomb. Now, why do you suppose Peter 
would run to the tomb. You know, think about who Peter was for a bit. Peter was basically the leader amongst those 12. You know, there was three that were very special to Jesus Christ. But when you needed a spokesman to speak up, whether you knew what he was talking about or not, it was Peter. When you needed somebody to step out of the boat and onto the water, it was Peter. And give the guy some credit. When Jesus Christ is betrayed by Judas in the garden, who's the one who pulls the sword? Peter, now he's not very good with it. He takes off the high priest and the servant's ears. That's all he gets with the sword. And Jesus Christ puts it back on, so even that didn't do much. But Peter was trying to defend the Lord. It was Peter who said, Lord, I'll go die with you. And Jesus Christ told him what? Peter, you want to know where your heart really is? You may love me. You may have good intentions. But before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter denied him not once, not twice, but even in the face of a little servant girl, would not stand up for the Lord and denied him three times. And we've talked about this before, but one, another one of the saddest passages in Scripture is when it says Peter denied him the third time Jesus Christ was coming out of the hall, caught Peter eye to eye. We don't have any words being said between the two of them, but Peter ran out and wept bitterly. And now this morning... Well, he's trying to grapple with that because have you ever talked to somebody who looks at you and says, you know, I had a loved one, whether it was a husband, a wife, a parent, they died suddenly, and do you know what my last words were then? They were so harsh. I wish I could take it back. What do you think Peter had been going through for the last couple of days? The last words that Jesus Christ heard Peter say was, I don't know this guy. I'm not one of his disciples. And Peter had been weeping bitterly. And yet, now Peter hears, well, maybe. He's still doubtful. But he runs to the tomb. And it says that he stoops in and looks. And if we look at John, we get even more uh, instruction on them, more of the details going on. It says in John chapter 20, verses 6 through 10, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, that being John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they had not understood the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So Peter and John run to the tomb. John's younger. He outruns Peter. John's also got a little more reverence. He doesn't just barge into the tomb. He looks in from the outside, but there's no body there. Peter gets there. Reverend or not, Peter's Peter. He busts right into the tomb. He's going to find out what's going on. And he gets in there and he sees the linen clothes lying where the body had been. He sees the napkin that had been over his face, folded and set to the side. Peter should have believed. What more does Peter need? John finally comes in behind him and says, John does what? John believes. Now it's interesting what the scripture says. John didn't believe because he remembered on the way to the tomb. John believed after he saw it and suddenly it all hit him. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our ears. That's exactly what happened for John. He looked and he said, I know what's happened. And Peter. Peter was often the first, but not this time. It says Peter marveled. It doesn't say Peter believed. It says he marveled. And that idea between marveling is to wonder, to be amazed, to be impressed, but not to believe. And I'm worried that there are folks, even under the sound of this message this morning, that you may wonder where this story all come from. Maybe amazed at it. It's kind of an interesting story. You might be impressed with it. It's changed people's lives. But do you believe it? 
Because as, as yet, Peter's life is still a mess. And so here's Peter amazed, and they go back to their home, and they're thinking about these things, but a failure to understand. And then as hard as it is to believe, a failure to believe. Because we get to the end of this passage, and we haven't read through it yet, but chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. The disciples come from the road to Emmaus. They come back to talk to the other disciples, and they tell them, you won't believe who we just spent the afternoon walking with. Now, the ladies had already told them this. Now these two come back and tell them the same story about a risen Lord. Wouldn't you think they'd start getting the message? In fact, as we look at this passage about what's going on here, if we look back into what's happening back earlier in the chapter, it says, as these disciples from Emmaus came in, they were talking about the fact that the Lord had appeared to Simon. We don't get that anywhere else in Scripture. We don't know what happened. Somewhere between Simon's marveling and this visit in the evening by these disciples from Emmaus, God had appeared to him. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, had appeared to Simon. And all of this going on, it says this is what's happening in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, what were they talking about? There were lots of disciples who still didn't believe. So what's wrong with those guys? How many of us would have believed? How many folks do you know that are walking around that passed away three days ago? How many people in mourning wish things were differently and wish they could go back? And yet, here are these disciples. You can't blame them. They've got nothing to hang their head on here. He was dead three days ago. They buried him. And now, all these stories, and they're talking about it, and said, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Again, you talk about understatements in the scripture. We've got the one with the angels, and now here they are talking, and they're debating what? Is he alive or isn't he? And suddenly, it doesn't say he walked in the room. Isn't it interesting how it's put there in Scripture? Suddenly, he's standing among them. What's their reaction? They've already been told, not once, not twice, but probably three times now. You've got the ladies, you've got Simon, you've got John who believes, so they may have a fourth time. You've got the disciples from the road of Emmaus that are telling them that he's living. And now Jesus stands among them and says, peace to you. And they rejoiced. You know, there's still a failure to believe. It's incredible. Jesus Christ is standing in their midst. And they don't know what to do with it. Look what he says here. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? I kind of think as I'm looking at this and putting myself in the place of one of these doubting disciples, it would be one thing to have this spirit who just appeared, who they're about to find out is Jesus Christ himself, ask, why are you troubled? Is it the first time Christ has had to ask the disciples that? Remember back before he was crucified, John chapter 14, they were all troubled because they couldn't go with him, and he said, let not your hearts be. And they didn't listen. They needed to remember. They were troubled again. And so Jesus looks at them and says, why are you troubled? And why do you have to see my hands and my feet? And again, I don't know exactly what, the glorified body of Jesus Christ is going to look like. But obviously, you can see the marks of the nails in his hands. You can see the marks of the nails in his feet. Probably for all eternity, there'll be a reminder to us in Jesus Christ of the price of our redemption. And you look at this, and he shows them the hands, and he shows them his feet. And he says, touch me and see. 
A spirit and yet a body. And again, I can't explain all that to you. I was talking to somebody the other day after our revelation study about what our glorified bodies are going to be like. And I'm saying, yeah, it's a lot of speculation. This is all I can give you. We're going to be like him. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work. But we'll be able to see him. We'll be able to touch him. And he said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. Now, what would you expect from the disciples in verse 41? Jesus Christ showed up while they're talking about him. Is he alive or isn't he? Here he is, talking with them, showing him his hands, showing them his feet. And it says in verse 20, 41, and while they were still disbelieving for joy and marveling, he talks to them again. What's their reaction? Their eyes still haven't totally been opened. Their ears haven't totally been opened. Their minds have not totally been open. They're having trouble getting their minds around this. And it's an interesting phrase there. It says there, while they still disbelieve for joy. What in the world is is that trying to say that they disbelieved for joy? They're still disbelieving because it almost looks like it's too good to be true. Could this really be what's happening? Could we really be with the risen Lord? And he says to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he ate. And then we get to what happens when Jesus Christ changes minds, opens minds, he changes lives. Look at the rest of what's here. And we're going to close with this this morning. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Why did we spend time singing, Lord, open our eyes, open our ears? Because if God doesn't do a work in your heart this morning, you'll walk out here and you'll disbelieve just like the disciples did. You'll disbelieve just like the Sanhedrin did. Just like the Pharisees, in fact, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they paid the guards to say that the disciples stole him. I wonder what those guards did. Did they believe or did they disbelieve? There was an earthquake. They watched an angel roll the stone away. I doubt that they saw the risen Lord. I think he was already gone. And they they saw all this, and yet they disbelieved. My prayer for you today is that God will open your eyes, that God will open your ears, because I'm praying he'll do that to me so that I get exactly what he needs for me to get from the Scriptures, from the truth, from my relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ goes on to talk about that here. He said to them, Thus it was written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus Christ just doesn't open their minds, but as he does, he said, this is what I want you to remember. If you forget everything else, this is of utmost importance. Remember the fact that Jesus Christ, and look at the way he puts it. He said, thus it is written that Christ should suffer. Everything that happened on that Friday leading up to Calvary and when he cried, it is finished, was God's decree. He said, this is the way it was supposed to work because it has to work that way for you. Because of sin. Because we're all sinners and we're under God's judgment. And he said, this is what I want you to remember. Remember this, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And what should that do for you and for me? For those of us who do believe, whose eyes are open and whose ears are open, it says here at the last part of this, he says that, The forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He looks at his followers that day who are finally getting it. This is Jesus Christ. He is risen. 
And Christ said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to proclaim the message of repentance and salvation in a risen Lord to a lost and dying world. End of story. And we won't take the time today, but someday we should run through the testimony of all the disciples because they gave their lives to share that story. Not a fanciful story. Not a story that they thought was kind of neat but didn't really believe. But a story that changed their lives. A story of repentance of sin. What is Easter all about? What is the resurrection all about? What is the risen Lord all about? It's about Calvary and the fact that he shed his blood so that your sins and mine can be forgiven. And if you haven't come to him yet, you're lost in your sin. And Jesus Christ himself said, share with those who are lost that this is the most important thing that they will ever do. That repentance of sin is something that needs to go across to all the nations that I have risen, that I died, that I rose again. So much so that Paul, the heart of Romans, is found in Romans chapter 10. That if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from your sin. Because repentance and all of that is available because he rose. He died and he rose again. And now he's saying, what are you going to do with it? And I wonder if he appeared to us this morning in the next few minutes. You say, oh, that would never happen. Now the disciples thought the same thing. I'm not promising it's going to happen. But if he did appear here today and he looked at us, what would he say? How are we doing with the job that he left us to do 2,000 years ago? Proclaim Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, at the end of your life, at the end of all that you leave behind, if you don't leave behind a legacy of he or she proclaimed Jesus Christ, you missed it. That's why we're here. That's you're saved in order to be his child. Give him glory and proclaim Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's the most exciting Sunday of the year. I look forward. I love Christmas. I love Christmas carols. But there's nothing like the resurrection. Jesus Christ lives. And because he lives, he changes lives. And when we hear testimonies, hear people joining the church, it brings tears to my eyes. You say, Pastor, too many things bring tears to your eyes as an old guy. Yeah, it probably does. But it brings tears to my eyes as I hear about how God changed lives. It brings tears to my eyes when you leave and tell me, God's working in your life because it's not me. I preach so many times on Sunday and I think, oh, wow, that could have been a lot better. How did I not do better with that? But God changes lives. God speaks to your hearts. And that's God at work. And as Jesus Christ looked at these disciples, he said there's a gospel message. The gospel message of Jesus Christ still works. And your lives can be changed if you put your faith and trust in him. The question for you this morning is, have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Forgiveness is yours. New life is yours. I'm not telling you your life's going to be easy and there'll never be a problem. He didn't say that either, but he said you can have eternal life. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have a right relationship with God. And then the second thing is if you've done that, when was the last time you told somebody else about it? Good news is wonderful to share. Every time I hear I'm having another grandkid, other than the fact that I figured out I'm going to be a little bit older now to have another grandkid, somebody gets to hear about it. It's exciting. And my son got married yesterday. You want to talk about miracles? I'm thinking, somebody's marrying my son. Hallelujah. (laughs) But 
that pales in comparison to the fact that Jesus Christ died and he lives for you. Share that with somebody this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the resurrection story. Lord, we thank you for a look into the lives of people who had to struggle with what's really going on and what is the truth until you open their hearts and they open their minds. You open their eyes. And God, I pray that you do that for each one of us. Lord, there are folks that live all around us that we run into every day that need this message. And I pray that you'll give us the courage to share it. Give us the love for you and the excitement of not only Calvary, but of that empty tomb to share that story with those who need it. And God, I pray that you'd open their eyes, open their ears, give them understanding in the scripture. And Lord, I pray that as a result of folks in here, even this week, who have an opportunity to share Jesus Christ, that somebody will be saved. So God, work in our hearts and lives. May we never lose the awe and the wonder of the risen Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.